8 is where we'll get started this morning. If you want to open up there and place a marker in John the 8th chapter, that's where we will begin. So good to see so many of you out today. have several guests who are here with us. We really appreciate you all being here. Uh, I really appreciate the, the heartfelt worship period that we've had thus far. I really appreciate the songs that Luke has selected. Cade, you did a fantastic job with the scripture reading. And John, that was a very heartfelt prayer. Thank you all for that. And thank you all for, for being fully engaged in this worship period. I'm very, very excited to be here with you all today. John chapter 8 is where we will begin here in a few moments. The Jewish religious leaders thought that they were perfect. They had all of these special titles to describe who they were. Pharisee, Sadducee, the Sanhedrin Council, uh, Scribe, Lawyer. They had all of these titles, and because of this, they thought that they were perfect. They thought that they were perfect from where they came from. They were from the tribe of Israel. They were descendants of Abraham. To them belonged the promises, the covenants, the law, the worship, the glory. They had all of these special privileges and spiritual and physical blessings. And for this reason, they thought that they were perfect. They had the patriarchs. And from them and from their seed would come the Messiah. And in John chapter 8, as they're standing face to face with the Messiah in all of his infinite glory, Jesus Christ himself is about to show them that they are everything shy of perfection. He's about to show them that they have no right, they have no authority to cast judgment on other people without first examining themselves. Here in this moment in John chapter 8, Jesus is about to help the Jewish religious leaders realize that they are truly whitewashed tombs that are full of dead men's bones. They are not perfect. It's the annual Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. This was a wonderful time in Jerusalem. It was a wonderful time of celebration, joy, and jubilation. Jews from all over the world would gather together into this one place to think about and reflect and, and rejoice in all of the wonderful things that God had done for them and all of the great things that God had done for their forefathers years and years ago. So you have all of these Jews from all over the world who are packed into this one place. They're in the temple. And they're sitting at the feet of a man that we know, Jesus. And Jesus is teaching and he's preaching and they're hooked on every word that he is saying. They're captivated by him. They are hanging on to every single thing that he is saying, waiting on the next profound statement that he's about to make. And as they're listening to him, there's a commotion in the back of the temple. Everyone breaks their gaze from Jesus and they turn around and in come the very perfect Jewish religious leaders. They're walking in with their chest poked out. They think that they're so big and bad. They think that, that they're the top dog, and they're dragging in this woman. They have a woman with them. And she, she's very ashamed. She looks very disturbed. Her head is to the ground. She's crying. She's upset. It's very, very obvious that this woman does not want to be there, but she's there. She's there because she's been caught. She's been caught in the act of sin. And so the Jewish religious leaders, they say to Jesus, hey, 
hey, Jesus, Jesus, we got her. We caught this woman. We caught this woman in the very act of sin. We caught this woman in adultery. The law of Moses says you stone such a woman. What do you say? Let's take a time out. Before we consider what Jesus has to say about this, let's think about what was going through this woman's mind in this moment. Can you imagine what she's thinking? She's obviously, obviously very, very embarrassed. She's been caught in sin, caught in sin by the Jewish religious leaders, the very people that you would not want to know about all of the horrible and awful things that you've done. They have caught her in sin, and they have exposed her to this crowd. This crowd of Jews who are gathered together from all over the world. Everyone knows about all of the horrible and all of the awful things that you have done. The Jewish religious leaders know. The entire crowd knows. And this Jesus, this Jesus Christ, the Messiah in the flesh, who's sitting there teaching and preaching, he knows about all of the awful things that you've done. Very, very embarrassing moment for but not only was she very embarrassed, she was a very afraid. She was very afraid because she knew, everyone there in the crowd knew, the Jewish religious leaders knew, and Jesus knew that she deserved to die. Her sentence was death. For such a sin as that, for such a sin as adultery, the law said that she deserved to die. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10, the law of Moses says, if a man is caught with a wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. Where was the adulterer in this situation? No one knows. But the adulteress was standing there and she was very embarrassed and she was very afraid because the law says that she should be sentenced to death. The prophets declared in Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 18, as the Lord is speaking through the mouth of the prophet Ezekiel, describing the faithlessness of Israel, comparing it to an adulterous woman. He says in Ezekiel chapter 8, 16 and verse 38, I will judge you as a woman who commits adultery and sheds blood and bring upon you the blood of wrath and of jealousy. In verse 40 of the text, the Lord continues to say, the crowd shall bring against you, and they shall stone you and cut you to pieces with a sword. That was the punishment. That's what she deserved. That's what she thought was about to happen to her in this moment. Very embarrassed and very afraid because her sentence is death. And so let's rewind the story. We're back in the temple the Jewish religious leaders say to Jesus, hey, we've caught this woman in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says we have the right to stone such a woman. What do you say? Jesus, hearing them, but not really hearing them, gets on his knees, and he begins to write something in the sand. Jesus, Jesus, don't you hear us? Are you, are you deaf? Are you mute? Do you see what's going on? Are you blind? We caught this woman. We caught her in the very act. The law of Moses says we stoned such a woman. The law of Moses says we have the right to slaughter her and cut her to pieces. Do you hear us? What do you say? The text says that Jesus got up from the ground. And I can only imagine him looking them dead in their face. 
he says to them, he who among you who is without sin cast the first stone. The passage says he gets back down on the ground and he begins writing in the sand. And in John chapter 8, in verse number 10, verse 9, excuse me, John chapter 8 and verse 9, the text says when they heard this, they went away one by one beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with a woman. Jesus was left alone with this woman because in this moment, he helped everyone who was there realize that they were all equal. They were all sinners. This woman was no worse than them, and they were no better than her. In this moment, Everyone from the oldest to the youngest recognized that they too were sinners. In this moment, everyone there from the oldest to the youngest recognized that they were not perfect. They recognized that they were everything shy of perfection. In this moment, Jesus helped this crowd realize that every last one of them deserved to die. They were no better than this woman. Her sentence was death, and her status was equal, and her Savior was Jesus Christ. In John chapter 8, in verse number 10, the text says that Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Where are they? Has anyone condemned you? No. No one has condemned you. Why hasn't anyone condemned her? Because Jesus saved her. Jesus pacified the crowd. Jesus exposed the sins of the crowd. And every last one of them who were there walked away. Because no one there was perfect. He gave them the opportunity to kill this woman. If you think that you are perfect, be the first one to stone her. Be my guest. If you're so great, if you're so righteous, if you're so holy, kill her. But everyone there recognized that they didn't have the right to kill her. Everyone there recognized that they were no better than her. And everyone there walked away, and, and Jesus saved this woman. She was left alone with Jesus. He was her Savior, and he pardoned her sins. Her sins were forgiven. John chapter 8 and verse 10, Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you, Go, and from now on, sin no more. This woman who had been caught in the very act of sin, caught in the very act of a very embarrassing sin, a horrible sin, exposed to all of the Jews from all over the world, exposed to the Jewish religious leaders, and exposed to Jesus, this woman who was very ashamed, she was very disgraced, uh, she had a whole lot of baggage and guilt. She's lived a horrible life of sin. She was with another Woman's husband, very ashamed, exposed, afraid, embarrassed, and now there's no guilt. Now she has no baggage. Now she's not ashamed. Now all of her sins are wiped away and have been forgiven by her Savior, Jesus Christ. Caught in sin. John chapter 8, woman caught in adultery. She has a talk with Jesus, 
and now she's redeemed. It's a very, very beautiful story. Today is December the 2nd, 2018. And if we're honest with ourselves, we'll realize that every last one of us here have been caught in sin. We've all been caught in sin, caught in the very act of horrible, awful, ungodly things. Tim, I've never been caught in the act of sin. I've never been exposed. I've never been drugged before a crowd of of, of American citizens. I've never been drugged before the elders or the preacher or the the deacons or my family. No one knows about all the horrible, awful things that I've done in my life. This isn't me. Perhaps that is the case. Maybe you have gone your entire life with no one ever knowing or finding about all of the horrible, awful, ungodly things that you have done. And maybe, perhaps, you will go the rest of your life with no one here on this side of heaven ever finding about the horrible, awful, ungodly things that you have done in your life. But listen to me very clearly. There is someone who is in heaven who knows about all of the horrible, awful, ungodly things that you and I have done. Because all things, as Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13 says, all things are naked and exposed to he who we will give an account. The psalmist cries out in Psalm 139, Where shall I go from your spirit, Lord? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. God knows and God sees Every single thing that we have done, whether good or evil, all of us, just like this woman in John chapter 8, have been caught in sin. And for this reason, every last one of us deserves to die. Romans chapter 3 verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Excuse me, that's Romans chapter 6 verse 23. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. All of us deserve to die. Paul continues to say in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 that sin entered into this world through one man. And from sin, death came into this world and death has spread to all. Why? Because all have sinned. The wages of sin is death. The consequence, the result, the, 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 sentence, the sentence for our sins is death. And it doesn't matter whether my greatest sin is, is, is telling a white lie. Kids, it doesn't matter whether your greatest sin is, is taking your neighbor's pencil in your, in your classroom. It, it doesn't matter if you're the, the worst thing that you have done is coveted your neighbor's uh, boat in his, in his yard. It doesn't matter if you have committed adultery. It doesn't matter if your greatest sin is murder. It doesn't matter. All sins are equal. All sins are equal in the sight of God. They all have the same eternal consequence, and that is death. James says in James chapter 2 and verse 10, if we keep the whole law but fail in one part of it, we are guilty of all of the law. Why? Because it was my sins. It was my sins. It was my mistakes that caused Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, to have to get up from his throne in heaven and come to this earth, come to this place that we live in. We know how imperfect this world is. 
how godless this world is, how awful this world is. It was my sins that caused him to get up from his throne and come here. It was my hypocrisy. It was my hypocrisy that betrayed him in his darkest hour when he was praying in the garden alone. It was my hypocrisy. It was my anger, my hatred that slapped him and mocked him and spit on him and and tortured him and scourged him. It was my arrogance that put that scarlet robe on him and stripped it off of him. It was my pride that put that crown of thorns on his head. It was my sins, my transgressions, my mistakes, my disappointments, all of the awful ungodly things that I have done that caused him to be raised up on that cross on a very bloody hill, hanging between the twilights of two worlds, pouring out his blood for the sins of the world. It was what I have done that caused that to happen. And for that reason, I deserve to die. And when I think about all of this, I'm touched and I'm moved. And I think about what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 7 and verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am who will save me from this body of death, who will deliver me from this body of death. Paul cries out in Romans chapter 7, verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because of my sins, I deserve to die, but Jesus Christ saved me. Just like he saved that woman in John chapter 8, the scribes and the Pharisees and the uh, the Sadducees and and the elders and the lawyers, they had stones in their hands and they were ready to kill that woman. They were ready to kill her and slaughter her to pieces. She was about to die, but Jesus stepped in. Jesus stepped in. He pacified the angry mob. He stepped in, and he saved that woman. And God the Father, he was angry. The blood of bulls and goats could no longer take away the sins of the world. He was angry with us. His wrath was about to be revealed against all ungodliness. But guess what? Guess what happened? Jesus stepped in. Jesus stood in the gap, and he saved every last one of us. He saved every last one of us, even though, even though we trampled underfoot the Holy Son of God, even though we outraged uh, the, the blood of his covenant and the spirit of his grace, even though in our weakest, in our weakest, in our weakest, most ungodly, most sinful moment, just at the right time, just at the right time, Romans 5 says, Christ died for the ungodly. Open up to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 6 is a beautiful description of what God has done for us through Christ. Paul says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be what? Saved by him from the wrath of God to come. We were justified, we were justified by the blood of Jesus justified by the death of Christ, and Christ's death saved us from the wrath of God that was to come. 
Can you imagine being an enemy of God, as the passage says? We were enemies of God, but Christ's death saved us from God's wrath. Jesus saved that woman in John chapter 8 from the wrath of the Jewish religious leaders, and he saved us from the wrath of God. Far worse, far worse than the wrath of a scribe, a Pharisee, a, 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 a lawyer, someone in the Sanhedrin council. God's wrath is far worse than that. And Jesus saved us from it. The text continues to say in verse 10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We can rejoice in Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen, because Christ has forgiven us. He has forgiven us of all of our sins. In John chapter 8, Jesus told that woman, go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. I'm not going to hold this against you. Go and sin no more. We have been forgiven by Jesus Christ. We have been redeemed from the wrath of God to come, Romans chapter 6 and verse 7. We have been released from the bondage of sin, Romans chapter 5 and verse 9. All of our sins, all of our faults, all of our transgressions, all of the horrible and awful things that we have done have been erased, as Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14 says. They have been erased and they have been nailed to the cross. Jesus erased all of our debts. He erased all of our transgressions, all of the lies, all of the hypocrisy, all of the lust. Everything, everything has been put to death. And so for that reason, as Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 we have been forgiven by the immeasurable love, grace, and mercy of God. And so we don't have to live with guilt. We don't have to hold on to all of that baggage. We don't have to hold on to all of that shame. We can live our lives with a clear conscience because Christ has saved us and forgiven us of all of our sins. And because of what Christ has done, we should be moved to live for him. Our lives are forever and should always be in Christ. Jesus told that woman to sin no more. That should be our attitude. We're no longer going to live in sin because we live for the Lord. We have a greater focus. We have an eternal focus. We have built our hope, our lives, our expectations, our dreams, our families, our friends, our careers, our lives on things that are eternal. We're not, we're not holding on to things that are, that are mortal. We're holding on to things that are immortal. We're, we're standing on God, Christ, the solid rock. That's who we're going to stand on. And we're going to hold on, as the hymnist says, to God's unchanging hand. Our lives are forever and should always be in him because of what he has done for us. God's grace should not cause us, it should not motivate us to sin more. Paul says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, shall we continue in sin and take advantage of the grace of God? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? That shouldn't be our attitude. Because Christ died, we should be motivated to sin less, and our lives should be in him. 
John says in 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, in verse number 9, 1 John chapter 4, in verse number 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. God sent his only begotten son, the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. God sent him, capital H, into this world to die for us. And for that reason, we should be motivated to, and he expects us to live in him. That should be our reaction. That should be our reaction for all of the wonderful things that he has done for us. That's what he expected of that woman in John chapter 8. Has anyone condemned you? No, Lord. Neither do I. Sin no more. John chapter 8. There was a woman who was caught in sin. Caught in a very active sin. A horrible, awful, ungodly sin. She was drugged before this crowd of Jews who were gathered together from all over the world. And she was made to feel like worthless scum. No one loved her. No one cared about her. Everyone had stones in their hands and they were ready to kill her and cut her to pieces, as the law said they could do. But in this moment, in her darkest hour, when all hope was lost, she was introduced to true love. True love showed patience. True love was not arrogant. True love did not boast. True love was not puffed up. True love said to her, true love said to her, I don't condemn you. Sin no more. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will never walk in darkness, but they will have the light This woman was able to walk away from this scene, walking in the light, forever changed as a new creature, as a woman whose life would forever and always be in Christ Jesus. May that be the case for every last one of us today, because all of us have been caught in sin, but Christ, in his immeasurable love, grace, and mercy, has died for us so that all of us can walk in the light. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we come to you now humbled before your high and exalted throne. We thank you so much for who you are and what you have done for us. We thank you so much for your love, your grace, and your patience. We thank you so much for seeing fit to send your son, Jesus, to this earth to live a perfect life, to suffer to die, and to rise so that we could have hope and that we could have life. We thank you so much for this great sacrifice that gives us remission from all of the horrible, awful, ungodly things that we have done and all of the things that we will do. We thank you so much for your word and the simplicity of it and examples in scripture like the one that we have just discussed this morning that can show us how we should live our lives and how we should respond to your love, grace, and mercy. 
thank you so much for this group that meets here in Spring Hill and Rolling Hills. Pray that you continue to bless us and help us continue to grow. Pray that you be with the leadership here and pray that they can continue to be the godly, focused men that they are. Again, we thank you so much for Jesus and his sacrifice, and we ask all of these things in his name. Amen. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you don't have the hope that this woman walked away having in John chapter 8. You just don't have it. But thankfully, God sent Christ here to this earth to die for you so that you could have that hope. You have that hope by believing in Jesus, believing that he is truly the Son of God, believing that his sacrifice can give you life. And once you believe that, you have to ask yourself, am I ready to make a change? And when you get to that point where you are ready to make a change, you repent and turn away from your sins. You confess the name of Jesus, confess that you believe in him, and you are connected with his blood through water baptism, fully immersed in water, rising forth, walking in newness of life, just like that woman was able to do in John chapter 8. If you've done that but you've fallen away, you would like to make things right this morning, we'll pray for you, we'll encourage you, we'll help you. If you have any spiritual need today, please come to the front while we stand and sing the song of invitation.